So we're in this series called Shaken. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open your Bibles up or you click to whatever, whether you're old school or you use a tablet like I do or a phone, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been walking through this series. I entitled the, message, the, the series Shaken uh, from some questions that were asked in the Psalms. What do the righteous do? What do believers do when their foundations have been shaken? How do we respond? How do we act? And so Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter 3 through chapter 5, begins discussing this subject about how we, how we can be confident even in uncertain times, how we can be confident when things are unsettled or when our, when our world has been shaken or our foundations have been shaken. Now listen, this, this morning, I just got to tell you, this is the heaviest message of this series. Maybe the heaviest message that I have preached or will preach all year. And I don't say that as an apology, but I say that just to make you aware of the seriousness of today's subject. Fact is, the Bible tells us that from time to time, as believers, that we should examine this question, we should ask this question, we should, should answer this question so that we know that we're in a relationship with Him. And so the question is this, it's a heavy question. But the question is this, how certain are you that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Is it based upon good works and trying to do more good stuff than bad stuff and it's kind of a religion? What is the basis for you? How certain are you, how confident are you that when you die, you'll, you'll go to heaven or is this something you just tell others for your comfort and theirs, but down deep? You don't know, because see, this is such a critical question for, for us to be reasonably, reasonably confident in shaken times, in unsettled times. We have to have a realistic hope for the future, right? Last week, as an illustration, I told the story about the U.S. Air uh, jetliner that crashed in the Hudson River. What would have happened if you would have been on that plane? And they had announced that it was going down. Would you enjoy the rest of your trip? How about this? How about if you're on vacation and you're on a cruise and all of a sudden the captain comes on the PA system and says, guess what? We are headed to, for, to, a, to a typhoon. We are headed to a terrible storm. And the cruise will not survive. Ship will not survive. Would you enjoy the rest of your trip? Would you go hit the buffet one more time? Would you do just one more show? See, for a trip... To have joy, there has to be an expectation of safe harbor. And the Christian life is believing in heaven. And it's just not a, a thought, a theory for comfort in the final stages of life. But I'm just telling you, it is essential for daily living and for daily hope. Heaven, the promise of heaven. All that scripture talks about it should cause us to live this life differently because of what God has for us. Jesus said this. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life to the fullest now and then. So in these verses and in these chapters that we're going to look at this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, we're going to look at three different phrases that Paul used. See, Paul used three different phases, phrases when he was explaining this to them. We know, we are guaranteed, and we are confident. In other words, because of the things we know, 
because of the things we are guaranteed, then we can be confident in shaken times. Then we can be confident when our foundations have been rocked and our foundations have been shaken. Now listen, there is so much scripture today. fact is, I, I had to take so much scripture out just in the time that I have allotted this morning to where even Saturday night I read so much scripture I felt like I, felt like I lost them at some point. And so I'm going to give you some scripture references for those of you that are taking notes. I may not read all of the scriptures this morning, but I will reference them that you can go back and look at later because Paul has so much information on this subject. So the first phrase that he used, the first phrase was this, we know. We know when this life is over, a better life is waiting for us. That we know, we are confident. That when this life is over, a better life is waiting for us. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So there it is. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. Now this is real interesting when you understand what Paul did for a living. Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. He made tents. So Paul starts relating this life, this body, to a tent that is temporary, that is fragile, that is not secure, to a heavenly dwelling, that is a building, that is not temporary. It is eternal, and it is secure. And so, you know what? If you've spent any time camping, you get that, right? And for those of you that love camping and you pack it in and pack it out, God bless you. I, I just have never had a wonderful experience doing that. I mean, I mean, after three days in a tent, you are longing for a home, right? I mean, nobody, I mean, people may enjoy camping, it, uh, packing it in and packing it out and all those other things, but there's a point you come to like, you know what, I just want the comforts of home. I'll never forget when we first moved here, uh, Kurt Dodd, who was our founding pastor, he had two sons, and, and we had some friends in Texas that, that were coming through Colorado and they had a bunch of horses. And the thing about it, when you move from Texas to Colorado, you're like everybody's best friend in Texas because tons of people want to come visit you now. And so you have friends that you never thought you had. And so, so we had some friends coming up. They had a bunch of horses. And we decided to meet at, at the Raywall National Forest, Kurt and I and his two sons. And so we're in tents, and, and uh, we had a big outfitter's tent that we set up. And, and we had horses, and, 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 and I've never had a good experience on a horse either. And so we were... We were riding horses up into the, 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 the high mountain lakes to fly fish them. That's, that's the only reason I wanted to get on a horse. That's the only reason I wanted to camp is because I wanted to fly fish some high mountain lakes and catch some big trout. That's it. And so I'll never forget, we pull into the campsite, and the, the camp you know, supervisor, person, whatever they're called, explained to us about the issues with bears, and they've had a lot of bears. And so, you know, lock up your food. You guys know all that. Don't leave your food out. Well... We set, up tent, we set up the tent, we set up camp, we're trying to go to sleep about 11 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, we realized, we heard them, we had bears in, in the campsite. They're knocking stuff over, they're rocking stuff, and so we're talking, you know, did we leave any food out, thought we locked it up in the car. All of a sudden, one of Kurt's sons goes literally crackers, and he's like, he's like, I left food out because I wanted to see bears. I left some food out, yeah. And so, now... <laughs> Now the tent goes absolutely nuts. There's like angry words being shared. There's confession of sin going on. I mean, people are getting right with God in the tent. Because you could hear there's bears out there. So one of his kids that went cracker said, Daddy, please pray. Can you just please pray? Let's pray. Let's pray. And so my, my, 
my sleeping bag was the first one uh, in the door, right by the door. So Kurt said, let's pray. And so Kurt said, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your blessings and how you protect us and you love us and guide us and all that stuff. And please protect us from bears. And Lord, if a bear does come through the front door, let him get full on Charlie. <laughs> and doesn't eat us. And so, so you know that this tent, what Paul is saying, this tent, this body is temporary. It's fragile. It's not secure. And the longer that you spend in this tent, or the longer you spend in the tent, the longer you long for the comforts of home. He goes on, verse 2, so we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to be put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. So this does not mean to say that this life doesn't have any joy or this life doesn't have any exciting moments. I mean, even with the camping experience in the Rewa National Forest, it had some joy. We caught some ginormous trout. We caught a lot of trout. We ate fresh trout over the fire. We had some great memories. But then we also had some things that were not so great. And so it's not saying, listen, it's not saying that this life doesn't have some joy and some exciting moments. But what it is saying is this is temporary. And Paul assures his readers and he assures us that the life God has for us is in heaven and much better. And let me just tell you this morning, God's vision for you is eternity in heaven with him. That's his ultimate vision for you. And so Paul goes on and starts, starts, starts relating this life to the life to come. And he says, this life is earthly. The next life is heavenly. This life is like a tent. It's fragile. It's, it's not secure. The next life that's coming is a building. This life is mortal that can be destroyed. The next life is eternal that cannot be destroyed. This life is full of, of burdens. And the life to come is it's not full of burdens. The life to come is full of glory. And this life is marked by longing for more. But the next is our heavenly dwelling. We're listen. Well, we'll be completely fulfilled. Verse 3. For we will put on heavenly bodies and we will not be spirits without bodies. We will live in these earthly bodies. We'll groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on, uh, on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. So the question is, how can, listen, how can we be certain? How can you be certain that when this life is over, it's a better life waiting for you? That there's life beyond the grave. Listen, you know if you read the news, read books, watch movies that are being produced, a lot of speculation about life after death, right? I mean, it kind of started Shirley MacLaine. Remember Shirley MacLaine, all those out-of-body experiences and all the stuff that she wrote about? And then all of a sudden we have some men that, that claim to have died in a car accident and go into heaven for a short time, and they've come back and, and written about what they saw, or maybe their experiences in, in, in heaven. Uh, here a while back we had this guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards who claimed to be able to connect with the, with the other side and connect with those that had gone before us and and communicate with the dead. And listen, let, let, parents, let me just tell you. The Bible warns greatly about the danger that when your children try to consult with mediums, spiritualists, astrology, seances, 
Ouija boards, dark, demonic games. They are not games. It is not entertainment. And the Bible would warn us greatly that it is demonic and it is dangerous. Listen, we do not live our lives by the speculation of man. But we live our lives by the demonstration of the power of a holy and a righteous God. And that's why Jesus said this about heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room. So building in my father's house. He's talking about heaven. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We believe in the historical reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he didn't become God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the perfect one, that he was God incarnate, he was God in flesh. And just as we have sang, God dwelt among us. And so as a result of that, we live by faith, not by sight. So Paul says, if you want to be certain, there are some things you need to know. And then the second thing is, you need to be aware. There are some things that we are guaranteed. We are guaranteed what is to come by the deposit of the Holy Spirit living in us. We know and we're guaranteed. Listen, let me tell you, whenever you put up a non-refundable deposit, whether it's on a, a vacation whether it's on purchase of a car, whether it's purchase of a house, a real estate deal, whenever you put up a non-refundable deposit, that is saying that your, your word is good, that you will make your promise come true. And what happens when you come to that place where you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that the scripture says the Holy Spirit immediately comes into your life. And it's God's deposit in fact, is in the Greek, that Greek word for deposit is a banking term. It's earnest money. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. And we can be confident that God's going to do everything that he said he was going to do. And the Holy Spirit teaches, leads, guides, and instructs. Paul said in Romans 8.11, he said, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead... And lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. I mean, how, how do we evaluate this? How, how do we evaluate for ourselves? When I die, will I go to heaven? How do I, how do I know? What are some indicators? Well, I've come up with a few questions for you and I, I, we just we had so much information that, that we couldn't get it all in your notes. And so some of you may want to jot these down. And, uh, but the first one is this. That it, when, whenever you want to look at your life, you just got to ask yourself, have, have, I, have I put my trust in, in God or put my trust in Christ and have I obeyed his commands? In other words, has there been life change? Uh, see, the Bible talks about an internal change that affects the outward. Religion tries to just affect the outward. But that doesn't work, right? 
That's why your New Year's resolutions never work. Because you're trying to change the outward without an inward change. So have you, have you put your trust in Christ? And is there evidence in your life that you obey his commands? Romans chapter 10 verse 9. So if, we, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Okay, so stop right there. So that word believe in the Greek doesn't mean I, I believe in there's a supreme being. I believe, the, I believe in the man upstairs or, or I believe in God and I believe that all good people go to heaven. It, it, that is not what that is talking about. See, that word in the Greek is so much deeper than that. That word in the Greek, believe, means I rely on, I put my weight on, I, he is my foundation. In, in, in other words, this. When, when you came in here and you looked at the chair that you're sitting in now, you had to make a determination, do I believe that chair can support me through the entire service? Do I believe that that chair can support my weight? And when the answer was yes, you put all of your weight on that chair. The same is true with Christ. Do I believe? And as a result of that, have I put, is he my foundation? Have I put all of my trust on him? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that, that you are made right with God. It is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, here's a promise. Put, puts their trust in. Will be saved. In other words, when you gave your life to Christ, when, when you accepted him, when you, when you started a relationship with him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came into our life and we're, we're guaranteed what is to come. We're guaranteed this next life. We have a relationship with you now, with him and now listen, depending on your testimony, you may or, or depending on your personality, you may or may not have felt a lot of emotion when you made that decision. I mean, if you're an extrovert or an introvert or, or, or if you're a highly accept, uh, excitable person or you're just kind of a, 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 a low-key person, your emotion may have been different. You may have felt a lot of emotion and you may have felt hardly any emotion. It was just a logical, it was just a decision you made. Listen, let me tell you something. Your salvation is not based upon emotion that you felt. I mean, you can be married, and there's sometimes you don't feel like you're married, right? But you know you're married. And so it's coming to this place in your life to where you know that I've put my trust in him, I have accepted him, it's, it, that I have a relationship with him. Another question that you should ask yourself and answer is this, is that, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in your life. And if the Holy Spirit is living in your life, if you have a relationship with him and he's deposited the Holy Spirit in your life, then is the Holy Spirit growing? Look, Galatians 5, 23, but, but the Holy Spirit produces kind of fruit in our lives. Here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So let me ask you, are these qualities growing in your life? fact is, if you life journal with us, because one of our goals is this, is to get God's word in us, because when we get God's word in us, then his word naturally comes out of us, and it begins to change our behaviors. And so let me ask you, is, is the Holy Spirit growing in your life? Are these qualities growing in your life? 
fact is, Thessalonians tells us this. If you've life journaled with us this last, last couple of weeks or, or last several days, we've been reading in Thessalonians. And Thessalonians, the writer of Thessalonians says that as we get older, two things should be growing in our life. Love and faith. Faith and love. So let me ask you, as you grow older, are you becoming more and more self-centered? Is it more about you? Are you becoming more angry, more bitter, uh, more sinful? And if so... Maybe you're stifling the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And maybe you need to learn to pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians says that we pray daily. And that's why we life journal. And that's why we read scripture. Uh, a famous preacher many years back, D.L. Moody. And, and someone asked D.L. Moody, he said, Dr. Moody, why do you pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit every day? He said, it's easy because I leak. We leak, and that's why we need the daily reading of his word and the daily time with him for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is this. The third question is, are you sensitive to spiritual things? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And we receive God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the one, listen, so we can know what? So we can know the wonderful things of God because the Holy Spirit teaches us. And he has freely given us. Listen, let me tell you something. You know what the Bible says? And we see this fleshed out in the world all the time. The man without the Spirit, the man without God, the man or woman without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. Fact is, you know what the Bible would say about that person that doesn't have the, the, the Spirit? It says the things of the Spirit, spiritual things, are foolish to them. In other words, he can't understand them or she can't understand them. I mean, if someone has, if someone has no desire, I'm telling you, no one has no, someone doesn't have any desire for the things of God, really no desire for them, the church, really no desire for worship and preaching, truly no desire for really understanding the Bible. doesn't want anybody to talk about spiritual things and when someone starts talking about spiritual things that we need to get involved in church or we need to pray about this or the Bible says this and we're doing this they become angry and mocking and make fun someone can't understand why anybody would really be committed to the local church and it's really something you do out of convenience and when you have the time those are some indicators the Bible says where someone's at. But if you're that person that, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that when Jesus opened up the word, the, the Bible says that, that their hearts begin to just burn when they heard the word. And you, you have this desire for church and for worship and for teaching. And you have this desire to open up his word for yourself. To where you understand and you just get it. That it's, man, it's getting God's word in me. Which comes out of me. Romans 8, 16, look at this. Listen, and for those of us that are believers, this isn't to make you question your salvation. This is to give you great confidence. 
that you have a relationship with him. Verse 16, for his spirit, capital S, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know what that means? You don't have to wonder if one day you're going to make it. You don't have to wonder if you're going to make the cut line. You're going to have to wonder if you've done more good stuff than bad stuff. See, the Bible says this, that guess what? God wants you to know that you know that you know. And the Bible says that his spirit will bear witness with your spirit, and you'll just know. And he goes on, and since we're his children, we're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we also must share in his suffering. How do you know that if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, are you living by faith and not by sight? Okay, Paul said about this subject, we're going to be certain there's some things that we need to know. That's why studying scripture is so important. There's some things that we need to know. There's some things that, that we are guaranteed. And when we know those things and we are guaranteed those things and we have accepted him, then he says, you know what? That's where your confidence comes from. That's what gives you confidence. That's what makes you confident when all the foundations of your world have been shaken. Here's the third point and the last one. We are confident that when we die, we go immediately into the presence of God. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. So we're also confident after the things that we know, after the things that we're guaranteed, that we're also confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully, here we go, we're fully confident. And we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we'll be home with with the Lord. And so Paul says with, with confidence that we can be confident because of what we know, because of what we've guaranteed, because of what Christ has done for us, that when we die, we go immediately into the presence of God. I mean, if, a few years back, I, I had surgery. And, I, it, and so as a result of that, you, you know, if you've ever been through surgery, there's a lot of unknowns, like what are they going to do and, and, and how are we going to recover and all this other stuff. And so I had to go to the hospital prior to my surgery. And I met with nurses and I met with anesthesiologists and I met with some doctors. And you know what they did? They walked me through the entire procedure. They walked me when you're going to get there, what you got to do before, what do you do after, all of that stuff to try to relieve what? To try to relieve some of my anxiety because I'd never been through that process before so I would know what to expect. Now listen, none of us in this room have experienced death. But God who knows all things gives us some advanced information so that we can have R, so that we can be confident when that time comes. So, real quickly, here's the process. First step is this. There is a gradual deterioration of the body. Second uh, Corinthians 4.16. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day. And sometimes, you know, sometimes this life, sometimes this tent is destroyed very quickly. But usually... There is a gradually or gradual deterioration of the body. And when we see that as we age and we see the deterioration of the body, it is a gentle reminder to us that this tent is temporary. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, Scripture says we're being renewed day by day. 
Second step is this. There's a, there's a departure of the Spirit. And in verse 8, Paul fleshes this out, and Paul talks about, you can read it later, he talks about this over and over, to be, to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, to be with the Lord is to be absent from the body. And so when the body, what Scripture tells us, when the body ceases to live, the Spirit departs. It's, it's like this. It's like, it's like when you have a glove on, and you've worn a glove for a number of years, and you slip the hand, you slip your hand out of the glove, you can still see the imprint of the hand in the glove, but the hand is no longer there. In a sense, you see me, but you really don't. You see the earthly tent. As a pastor, I've, I've been in hospital rooms and hospice when, when people have taken their last breath and they passed away. And there's just this sense. They still look the same, but there's a sense they're no longer really there. Next step is there is, there, there is an immediate presence with the Lord. And listen, I know for some of you, you you've been taught all your life that there's, that there's another step here. But I, this is just what the Bible says, that there's an immediate presence with the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the body is to, is to be with the Lord. And, and the fact is, Paul said this. Paul said, really and truly, there's only two stages of the Christian life. In the body, away from the Lord, or away from the body, and with the Lord. So just so we're clear this morning, the Bible doesn't teach in reincarnation. The Bible doesn't even teach in purgatory. That didn't come out of Scripture. It would take too long to explain where that theology and where that came from. But Paul was very, very clear. The fact is, Paul, just real quickly, Paul and Jesus were very clear on this. If you want to reference Luke chapter 16, Paul, uh, Jesus is telling a story about two men. A story that happened. Lazarus and the rich man. And both of them die. Lazarus had a relationship with God. He was, he was a Christian. And Lazarus passes away. And the Scripture says this. The angels came and took his spirit and took him to Abraham's bosom, which is just an Old Testament phrase of heaven. Here's the next step. There's a, gradual, there, there's a granting of a glorified body at the coming of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. For we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be spirit without bodies, is what the Scripture says. So I take this to mean... And we're not going to spend eternity floating around in the clouds as some disembodied spirits. And the scripture talks in John chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, and uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that we get a new body, that we get a, a glorified body at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says that Jesus was the first fruit. And he's not only the first fruit, but he was also our example. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and remember his spirit immediately departed, remember his prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then his body was placed in a tomb, and three days later the spirit, his spirit came, re-inhabited the body, and it was resurrected in a glorified body, and he said to his disciples, come and touch me. And he communicated with them. 
Next phrase, next phase is this, is there's a, there's a judgment of works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through, through 10. So whether we're here in this body or away from the body, our goal is to, to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged, and we'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. And so just real quickly, it's, the Greek word for that is, is just the... It's just the bema seat that there's this, it's like a graduation ceremony. Now listen, believers, we're not going to be judged for our sins. Okay? They're covered. They're not only covered, but they're taken away. They're atoned for. So we're not going to be judged for our sins, but the question is, is what did you do with me? The, the bema seat was a, was a, centrally located place in a in a greek town and it's where meetings were held it's where judgments were made but it was also used for the olympics and they didn't do the olympics like we do they they did the olympics in such a way that they would all compete they would all run the race and that at the end they would go before the judge and it was they would they would pass out rewards and there'll be some with special recognition and everything will be laid bare and everything will be exposed and maybe our judgment will be when we're sitting there and we're watching this. I should have lived so much more radically for him. <laughs> there, there's people that oftentimes will say, you know what? There's just absolutely no way we can show Jesus how much we love him. That is not true. Because when the crowns, when those rewards are handed out, the Bible says that we will come and we will lay them at his feet and say, we did this for you. Final phase. Scripture tells us is perfection in heaven. Now listen, let me tell you something. The Bible doesn't have a lot of information what heaven is really like. And that's why I think there's so much speculation of man that goes on these days. Because I think if we knew how great heaven really was, we would be like no earthly good. We'd be just worthless. And so there's not a lot of information in detail. But here's what is clear, probably the most important thing. It's very clear how to get there. And Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's very clear. It's not doing more good stuff than bad stuff. It's entering into a relationship with him that radically changes your entire life. So the question for every one of us this morning, are you certain when you die to go to heaven?